Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, Trinity. Um, How many of you know that sometimes life unfolds differently than what we expect? Differently than what we anticipate? How many of you remember when you were young? For some of you, that's like a long way back. You're in the way back machine. And uh, you had plans. You had great plans. You had a focus. Your mom and your dad may have helped you to achieve those plans. Maybe you were driven enough to know what you wanted, and you just stepped out and you took it. What was the first time you realized that maybe your life may not unfold like the story that was in your mind? Reality is a way of sometimes coming in and altering our, uh, our destinies and our paths. But how many of you know that your path and your destiny... None of those bumps that you hit ever take God by surprise. He factors into your call the road that you're going to walk. He does. So this morning, it's funny to me, you know, God's presence is here, but I also felt a heaviness in here. Do you know why? Because of what I'm going to be talking about today. The enemy knows exactly what he's, he's doing. He knows how to stifle things. So I want you to do me a favor. Shut your eyes for a second. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, let my heart be open to receive from you today everything that I need. Now right now, just take a second. Take a couple deep breaths. Allow the Spirit to soften your heart, to move the things inside of you so that you can hear God clearly. All right. It's good to see everybody today. Welcome to everybody online. I'm Pastor TJ. It's good to have everybody in the house on this chilly Sunday morning. I woke up, I think it was 16 degrees when I left today. Cold. The car was like, what are we doing? How many of you are car warmer uppers? How many of you are car warmer uppers, but occasionally you forget to warm up the car? That was me today. And then you, you know, you're running late. So basically driving to your destination is like a game of, of life and death. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's clear, it's not clear. Everything's clear, it's not clear, right? Because you just don't know what you're doing and stuff like that. That's where I was at today. Um, today we get to start a brand new series for the month called uh, Love Like Jesus. It's a great series. It's got a lot of little, uh, little nooks and crannies in it. It's important for us to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to be like him. Why? Because do you know that you are the living expression of a God that loves this world? Paul said this, he said, we are living epistles, living books that people can read. So it's important for us, not just to have head knowledge of who God is, but to be his heart, his hands, and his feet. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had an opportunity for Tyler's birthday. Uh, The family went and we did an escape room. Have you ever done an escape room? For those who don't know what an escape room is, it's this. They take you and your people, they put you in like a living puzzle, and you have to try to escape figure out the clues and escape from the situation, and then you're free, and you pay them a lot of money, and everybody high-fives them, and then you go home. Now, for those of you that have never done this, if you think your family is tough, strong, and you love each other, I want to encourage you, if you really want to know how deep you are, go do an escape room. Because either your family's going to rise and come together, or you won't speak to each other for like three days after the escape room. (laughs) It's usually how it works. So we go and we do this escape room thing. It was fun. And we did this thing where it was, the, uh, it was based on the Shawshank Redemption kind of story 
Uh, where they take us in, they, they separate us in teams. Um, there's three cells. They lock you each in these cells in the same room. They've got clues. You need to find out your clues. You need to work together to get out of the cells, and then you get out of this room into another room to get the key to escape and to live your life. They give us an hour, so they're separating us up in, in the groups of two. So I got McKenna. We were like Team A. The other team's not so good. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think Tori and Toby were a team, right? Yeah, that, that was great. And then, then, then Ty and Robin were teams. So we're in our little things, and we're looking for all these clues and all these things. And, uh, and, and the goal is this, to put yourself mentally in the, in the place of the people that were, were, were leaving the clues. What, you know, if I was this person, what clue would I leave for somebody else to give them what they need to get out of this situation and to escape? So I'm trying to think like a, like a, like a convict. Now, for some of you, that's very easy. For me, it's not. I, I just, I, I didn't know. So what would I, if I was a convict, what would I do? If I was locked in prison, what would I do? Well, I'm Greek. I would cry. I'd probably cry. Help me. Somebody help me, please. So we're in there. They gave us an hour. And I'm like, we're intelligent people. An hour, pff, that's a piece of cake. We're going to break all the records. So we're in there. We're working together. It started off a little rough. But now as we, as we continue to get to know and feel out the whole thing, we're getting better and stronger. We get past all the first phases and the second phases. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But here, here's the challenge. As you get deeper into the escape room scenario, the clues get a little more, they get a little stronger, a little deeper, a little tougher. So the whole time we're doing this, there's TVs in there with a countdown telling you how much time is left before the escape room closes and you're done. So we get all the way to the last element of the escape room. And we're all together in one big room, and we've got all these little letters out on this desk, and we're trying to figure out the last thing we need to get the combination of this safe to give us the key so that we'll be free. So we're thinking, what would these guys do, blah, blah, blah. And as we're in there, the countdown clock is like at two minutes, and it's going down, and we're trying to figure it out, and the pressure's starting to rise, and we're starting to gnaw at each other. So instead of figuring stuff out, I'm like, well, you got to do this. Well, you got to do that. Well, I don't, I don't even like your socks. And we're yelling at each other. Because this is a great family bringing together teamwork event. And finally, we get down to it, and right as we try the combination to the safe, we miss it. The counter goes to zero, and the lady comes in, and she's like, you didn't get out. You didn't make it. And I thought to myself, this is, you know, so we went from joy to really, we were a little, little, little tense, and that's not really good for a birthday day. So we went home, had cake, blew out the candle, sat in our little corners of the room and didn't talk to each other the rest of the night. <laughs> Happy birthday to Ty, right? This is how you do it. The funny thing about it, it was fun, and we would probably do it again, but the funny thing about it was this. In order to be successful to, 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 to defeat this escape room, you have to have an understanding of who the authors were, how they left the clues, and what they were trying to think of when they were leaving these clues so that we could grab them and, and escape. As we went through it later in reflection, and as I prayed for the Lord to forgive me for my terrible attitude, I thought this is kind of like what happens when you and I read the Bible and we study the Scriptures and we follow Christ. We pray to the Holy Spirit. We ask Him, what did, what did Jesus say to the Holy Spirit? He's going to be there and He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to bring to remembrance all the things that, that Jesus said. So our goal as believers, this is what we spend our entire life doing, trying to figure out what the authors meant by the clues that they left. Now, sometimes we just nail that. 
Other times we don't. Do you know how many denominations there are in the United States of America? Just the United States of America. 33,000. That means there are 33,000 different organizations that are playing religious escape room trying to figure out the people in the Bible, the clues that they left and what they meant by it. 33,000. If you think your family's a little dysfunctional, hello. Right? So what did Jesus mean when he said the things that he said? What does it look like really to be like Jesus? What does it mean to be his hands? What does it mean to be his feet? How did Jesus interact with people? How does he expect us to interact with people? How does he expect us to live this Christian life? And above all, not just you know, acting like Jesus or talking like Jesus, what does it really mean to love people like Jesus? I mean to really love people like Jesus did. So this entire month we're going to look and see what that, what that is practically. What are some of the things that Jesus did that show us his heart, that show us practical love? So today we're going to start off with a familiar story that really sets the tone for us when it comes to Jesus and how he loves. It deals for something, it was something that for us as Christians is really hard. How many of you know that in Christianity, in your faith, there's easy things and there's hard things? Like here's an easy thing. Yesterday we had a men's breakfast. There's probably 70 guys here, 75 guys here. And we ate biscuits and gravy, bacon, sausage. We did have a fruit bowl. To my knowledge, nobody touched it. Some people thought it was wax. They thought it was just a decoration. That part of Christianity and the faith is easy, right? Coffee and a cookie, that's easy. Smiling, high-fiving your neighbor here is easy, but there's other things as a part of our faith that, that are tough. You know, um, living out your faith practically in a place that, that, that doesn't respect your faith. Loving people that you don't even like and forgiving people that have hurt you deeply. Those are the parts of our faith that get a little sticky, get a little tough. Hey, why don't we start there today? Do me a favor. Take a deep breath. Keep your heart open. If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. If you have our app, you can go on our app, you get all my notes. If you've got the U version of the Bible, you can go there and get all my notes as well. This is a beautiful story that has, that has depth and understanding sometimes that I don't think we realize. This is why it's important for us to read the Bible in context. Context is not just the grouping of scriptures that sit around the passage. But context also deals with the history of why Jesus did and said the things that he did in light of not just the moment, but the customs of the day and even the Old Testament. This is a great passage, so do me a favor. I'm just going to tell you right now, today's going to be a little tough. You know, Miss Michelle, after today, you may get a few more calls <laughs> to talk to work some things out. She's a beautiful counselor, a wonderful counselor. How many of you know in your faith, sometimes it's pecan pie, and sometimes it's broccoli, peas, and Brussels sprouts? Today is going to be some vegetables. But I can promise you this. If you give God a hard look and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today, some of you today may leave here free. Forgiven, just in a different place, because that's the heart of God. John 8, starting at verse 1, says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. Verse 3. 
As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Imagine being Jesus. Constantly having who you are tested. Anytime you think you're having a bad day, remember this, it could be worse. When you think that the enemy is, is, is after you and persecuting you because you can't find a, a, a parking space at the Walmart, understand this, you know, life gets a little deeper sometimes. Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again in the ground and he started to write in the dust. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Boy, even the words... Can you put yourself in that environment in that moment? Even the words, what an incredible thing. In this passage, we have a, an idea. God gives us a picture on how God loves to, to deal with the broken parts of us. How many of you know that all of us have broken parts? All of us have things in us, disconnects in us, that God desperately wants to speak to and heal. So when you look at this passage, two things just jump right off the page of this passage. The first is this. You have to deal with the first thing, the sin issue, our sin. That's right. I said the S word. We don't talk about the S word too much anymore, do we? We don't hear a lot about sin anymore. Why? Well, let's just be real. Sin is uncomfortable. It's real, but it's uncomfortable. And sometimes when we're presented with sin, our brokenness, we just don't know what to do with it. So what is it? What is sin? Well, the word sin in the Bible comes from the Greek word uh, hamartia or the Hebrew word hada. And it means this. They both mean the same thing. To miss the mark. Everybody say mark. mark. To miss the mark. That's what it means. So when we sin, we miss the mark of what God wants us to do, who God wants us to be. By the way, how many of you believe that God is good? We sang about that today, right? About the goodness of who God is. If you believe truly that God is good then you have to believe that everything that happens in your life, God can take it and he can change it and work it for your good. Even the uncomfortable things like talks like today. Even when God corrects us, even when he asks us to forgive others or when he has to forgive us from things. All of those things weave together to form us to do who we are and they're all for our good. So here's the reality of sin. All of us sin. All of us miss the mark. None of us are perfect. Have you ever missed the mark before? Maybe you did something willfully that you knew wasn't good and you missed the mark. Or maybe you thought you could pull something off in your own strength and you missed the mark. I remember a few years ago, um, I think it was, I think Ty and, 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 and Robin were driving somewhere. We had an old car. And every once in a while, that old car just wouldn't get started. So we kept jumper cables with us, you know, just because you had to get the thing jumped because we were too cheap to get a battery. Anybody in here like that? Now, we'll get it later. We'll get it later. Well, 13 years later, you're still driving that thing, right? 
So they got stuck in a parking lot or something somewhere, and they, you know, they needed a jump. So they pulled out the cables. And sometimes when you get into the newfangled cars, it's hard to find the... Have you ever had to jump a car before? You have the two cables. You've got the black one and the red one. And you've got the positive and the negative. And this is how it works. In case you've never jumped a car before, let me be your YouTube right now. You, you, you start up the car, okay? Well, actually, you should probably wait. And you hook up the positive to the positive, the plus to plus, battery to battery, and the negative to negative, battery to battery. You start up the good car, and then you can't start up the old car first because if you could, you wouldn't need to be jumped. You're welcome, right? So you start it up, and hopefully if the battery's got enough juice, it gets the car started, the alternator takes over, and then you come home, and you say, i got to get a battery, and you don't until the next year. That's when you get the next battery. Somehow, someway, and I don't know who, who did it, because none of them will admit it. I don't know who did it. I have my theories, but I don't know who did it. On one of the cars they crossed, it's like, oh, every man in the room, oh. They crossed the beam, they crossed the thing, so they went from positive to negative, negative to positive. Have you ever done that? Let me tell you what happens when <laughs> Tony, a.k.a. Nene, <laughs> he said, I've done it. Let me tell you what happens usually. When you do that, it damages the battery. The battery could explode, but definitely it sets the cables on fire. How many of you, say, you remember Back to the Future? Remember when he took off the, the 1,000 gigawatts? Remember the thing? That's what it looks like. So I was not there. I wish I was because I'd have my phone out. I, so I don't know. I, I wasn't there, but the, the, the cables caught fire. There was pandemonium, pestilence. It was awful. They got everything off, and you know, it didn't, didn't, I don't think it damaged our car because it was already non-startable, but it, was, it, it, it freaked everybody out. They just did it wrong. They missed the mark. When you miss the mark, when you do it wrong, not only does it not work, but it creates damage to us. If you believe God is good, and you believe he's got the best thing for your life, and you believe that his way is perfect, when we do life his way, it works out. When we don't, we do damage, not just to everybody else, but to ourselves as well. This is why it's important for us to stay locked on to God. This is why it's important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to bring us back on track. Part of God's nature is to be good. And we know this, God loves you so much, he will move heaven and earth to bring you back to him. He doesn't sit in heaven shaking his head going. He doesn't sit on his throne with a lightning bolt just waiting for you to step out of line so he can zap you. I remember years ago, I'm a far side guy. Remember the far side comic? I remember they had a comic one time. It was, it was God at his computer. And he's sitting there and there's this guy walking. There's a, there's a piano over his head and he had a button that said smite. And he's getting ready to push the smite button. That's not God's heart for you. God's heart is to be with you. You can find God's heart in 2 Samuel 14, 14. This is one of my most favorite passages in all of the Scripture because I think it displays God's heart for us now. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says this. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. The God you serve devises ways to bring you back to him when you've strayed away, when you've missed the mark. He has. We all miss the mark. What does Romans 3.23 say? For everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. All of us sin. All of us miss the mark. But unfortunately, and I don't know why we do this, we love to put things in categories. 
So even when it comes to our missing the mark, our sin, we separate things. We have biggies and littlies, little ones. The big sins and the little ones, right? So when the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus, you know, she didn't lie on her taxes. Now, thank God nobody in here lies on their taxes. It's funny. When I said that, like, I looked at baby's like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't, don't make eye contact. You know, she didn't tell a white lie. She didn't do one of the small ones. She did one of the big ones because we categorized them. So the Pharisees bring this woman to Jesus. They caught her in a big one, the act of adultery. Now, adultery, the, the, this is such a big one in, in, in Jewish time. God laid down that, that this is something that you couldn't pay enough to get rid of this. You paid for this with your life. This is a big one. It cost you your life. The penalty for this was death. But here's the problem. When the Pharisees and the religious people brought this woman to Jesus according to their law, they did not follow God's protocols in order how to do this. They were bending what God was asking of the people to push ahead their own personal agendas. Look at the passage again. This is really crazy. It says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, this is how the law was supposed to work. Oh, excuse me. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, whenever anybody was caught in adultery, both the man and the woman, everybody say man. man. The man and the woman were brought, again, uh, to the night court gates of the temple. And the witnesses, the one that saw this, had to be two, would accompany what was going on. And then they would bring them again to, to the temple people, bring them to the, to the priest. And their judgment would be enacted. Now, if they caught them, you know, according to the oral law, those that accused, they saw the act were the first ones to cast the stone. And then you could have another posse around her. And then those that saw the thing, those were the ones that had the power to put the people to death. So here we have um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders kind of following the Scriptures using the pieces of the scriptures that they like to kind of push their agendas forward. Now, thank God we never twist the scriptures to push our agendas forward. Thank God we don't just, you know, take a piece here, take a piece here. Thank God we don't just read things just so that we can elevate our opinions. Take a deep breath. Everybody say, Pastor TJ, we love you because Jesus said I had to. We have to be very careful, beloved. This is why we read Scripture in context. And this is why, you know, when truth comes, how do you speak the truth? In love. We do everything from God's heart. Everything. If you don't know what to do in a decision or something that's happening in life, here's a good rule of thumb. If you can't hear the words that you're speaking coming out of Jesus' mouth, if you can't see his hands doing it, if you can't see the posture of Jesus Christ doing something like you're about ready to do with somebody else, ready? This is rocket science 101. Ready? Don't do it. Remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? If he wouldn't do it, don't do it. Now, understand this. The God we serve is balanced and complete. He's perfect. Every once in a while, Jesus turns over a table. But make sure the next time you turn over a table, it's Jesus doing it, not you. Are you with me? Do you still like me? 
Pastor Trish prayed, but Lord, help them like people. That was me. You like me? It's going to get a little deeper now. So you have the situation. These, these men twist the process to push their agenda. What's their agenda? To entrap Jesus. To get him to do something. To get him to accuse them because they'd never seen things. But let's just be real. This woman was still a mess. Right? Can you imagine being this woman? You live in a society where women are property. They're not considered human. This woman is, is obviously a woman of something where people look at her and they say, there's something wrong with this girl. This woman, again, she's, she's probably afraid. She's broken. She's confused. She's in a life or death situation. And in her hands of judgment stands Jesus, probably a man she's never spoken to. One of those guys, you know, Jesus is a holy guy. She was probably as far as she could get away from Jesus. So here she sits now in front of everybody in, 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 the, in the temple with Jesus' life in her hands. She's been dehumanized. She's voiceless and she's guilty. She's broken under the weight of what she's done. What a story. Do you know that this just isn't her story? This is our story. You are not enough. I am not enough. Apart from God, beloved, we are stuck and we're hopeless. I thank God her story doesn't end in her brokenness. By the way, your story doesn't have to end in your brokenness. God doesn't care what you've done. He's here to be the solution for what you've done. He is the antidote. He is not the poison. The church is not the poison. We're the antidote. We're the ones that bring life. We're not the ones that bring judgment and death. Do you hear me, beloved? We're the ones that bring, I'm getting excited. Y'all are quiet because I know, I know why. Because I know what's coming. Let's keep going. Thank God her story doesn't end there. and Thank God our story doesn't end where we're at. So her story starts with her sin, but then it moves into this other thing that's just beautiful. It moves into the solution. What is the solution? What does Jesus bring us as the solution to our issues, our brokenness, our ways of missing the mark? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is incredible. So we've talked a little bit about the environment of what's happening right now, the, the, the play that's unfolding in front of everybody. So whenever anybody was caught in adultery, both the man and the woman were brought to the priest. Again, we talked about there would have to be witnesses there. And the witnesses would be the ones to cast the first stone. Now this is a big deal. Because if you threw a stone to kill somebody back in Jesus' day, and you threw stones to stone somebody, and you were making it up, or you did it just because you didn't like the person, if you threw a stone and you killed somebody, their blood would be on your hands then. That meant this. Every Jew knew this. When they died, when God would look at them, they'd say, hey, listen, that person was innocent. Now you will die and take their place. They believed this. If they threw a stone in air, the curse that was supposed to be on them would come back on them, and their lives would be terrible. So those that threw the first stone, that was a pretty big deal. So they bring this woman to Jesus, and they say she's guilty, but they don't have any of the stuff that God requires to prove she's guilty. There's no husband. There's no witness. So what is Jesus to do? This is awesome. This is why I love the Bible. Jesus would do what any good priest would do with the heart of God in the situation. Again, what's God's heart? To always bring us back to him. Jesus would do what any good priest would do. Any good priest would know that if somebody is brought to you with an accusation, he would enact Numbers chapter 5, which he does. 
What is Numbers chapter 5? We're not going to read it. You can read it later. It's in the notes. If a husband or somebody accused somebody of committing adultery, and they didn't know for sure if anything like that was happening, they would take the person to the temple. This is nuts. And they'd bring the the person to the priest, and the priest would enact Numbers 5, which was this. He would get a, a clay jar. He would put in the clay jar water from the temple. It was holy water. They called it living water from the temple. Look it up. Numbers 5. Not now. now. Listen to me now. Then, are you ready for this? The priest would scoop dust off of the floor of the temple, put it into the clay pot, mix it up. Now, the dust had to be dust from the temple. Why? Because he needed holy dust. Think about that. He needed holy dust. He put the holy dust in there. And then the priest, this is nuts, would write on a parchment the oath and the curse. The oath is what you should have done. The curse is what happens if you don't do it. Then he would wash the ink into the mixture so that the, you know, the, the animal skin would be clean, stir it all up, and then he would give it to the woman to drink. And this is what they thought. If she drinks it and she's guilty, this would be a, a disease in her. It would cause her to not have children and she would die. But if she drank it and she was innocent... God would bring tremendous blessing on her life and she'd have kids and all kind of stuff. So that he would make this mixture and then, again, cause her to drink to see what the outcome would be. When Jesus did this act in John 8, this was a prophetic act, not just for the woman, but for everybody that was right. It was a prophetic act for us. All of the things that you needed to fulfill the requirements of the law from Numbers 5 are found in John 8. Every piece, everything. I mean, you have the accusation. We don't know. You know, we believe she did it. Now, God believes she was innocent. You know, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. So, hey, let's put this thing to the test. So you had the accusation, the missing of the mark. And this is cool. This is how God works, man. You think this is just about the woman that was caught in adultery? Who else missed the mark? All those that drug her in front of Jesus. You want to hear something nuts? He treated them equally with compassion and mercy. He could have nailed them to the wall. What did he do? He gave them the opportunity, the mercy that he gave that woman to. Why? Because all of us have been accused. All of us miss the mark. We do. So what do you do? What did the priest do in Numbers 5? Well, the first thing he did was he got the holy water, the living water. Where was the living water in John 8? It's Jesus. He's the living water. John 4, John 4, 13 says this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become, uh, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 3, 37, I love this, says this. Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, all of you thirsty ones, come to me, come to me and drink. He is the living water. So you take the living water. Then what else do you need? You have to have the dust, the holy dust. What makes the dust holy? The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. Romans 1, 3, and 4 says this, For the gospel is all about God's Son. As a man, he descended from David's royal lineage. But as the mighty Son of God, he was raised from the dead and miraculously set apart with a display of triumphal power supplied by the Spirit of holiness. He was holy. And now Jesus is our Lord and our Messiah. Then you have the written words, the oath and the curses. What did Jesus write in the dust? 
We don't know. Someday when I get to heaven, you know, I just, there's certain little things you want to know. I want to say, Jesus, what did you write in the dust? We don't know exactly what he wrote in the dust. Perhaps he wrote, like the numbers five priests wrote, the oath and the curse. Not just for the woman, but for everybody. I know this, whatever he wrote was enough to make every person that read what he wrote in the, in, the, in the dust to drop their stone and to go home. Jeremiah 17, 13 says this. Lord, you're the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So follow me on this. Don't, don't, don't jump off the bus yet. Here we have Jesus who has turned the tables on the righteous ones. This group of men that felt like they have the right to put this woman to death. Instead of receiving their accusations, what does he do? He gives them the bitter water to drink. The living water, the dust, and the oaths. Why? To punish them, to destroy them, to say, aha, meanies. Why does he do this? To give them a chance to repent. Just like the woman. None of us are righteous. We all sin. None of us have the authority and the position to act like we're righteous. You can't do it by yourselves. So he gives these men an opportunity saying, are you willing to take on this curse? Are you willing to throw this stone? Are you willing to walk this path? You know what the answer was? They weren't. One by one, the accusers walked away. Starting with the oldest. Why did the oldest walk away first? Because, Fred, we've done more things. We've done more stuff, Scott. We've done more stuff. John, you have a little ways to go, but you'll get there. Sometimes, guys, we are overwhelmed by all the stuff that we've done. One by one, they dropped the stone. What was the stone? Their right to accuse, their right to bring judgment. Why? Because none of them were willing to put their tuchuses on the line and to drink the bitter waters. So then, it's just the woman and Jesus. Her fate, her very life rests in, her hand, in his hands. The hands of God. How many of you know that it's not bad to have your life resting fully in the hands of God? I'd rather have my, my life in his hands than in anybody else's hands. So can you, can, you, can you be there? Can you imagine being there? Verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again. He told the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The heart of Jesus is to save, restore, and bring our lives back into alignment with him. The heart of Jesus is to love the world. Everybody. All of us know John 3.16. How many of you know John 3.16? Do you know John 3.17? They're connected together. This is what John 3.16 and 3.17 is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Look at 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What is the heart of God this morning? To save the world. Guess what, beloved? Not only is God saving the world, but he has a space for you and me on his team. We do it together. We co-labor with God to see the world saved. The Bible calls it this. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? We help to bring people back to God, baby. Now, your shift at the wall wall may be awesome. Whatever you do for your job, you may work with millions of dollars, but I can promise you this. You are not cooking with peanut oil until you've been invited to do something with God that saves people's eternal souls. 
That's why we exist. That's why the church sucks air to see people come to Christ. So you see, again, God's heart is to see us restored in a perfect relationship with him. That's why he has extended to all of us the most beautiful gift that he could give anybody, forgiveness. He makes us right with him through the door of repentance, which leads us to the path of forgiveness. You cannot have forgiveness without repentance. You can't. That's the door. He makes a way for us to be right with him again. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 1.7 says this, for by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. Psalm 103.12 says this, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So in order to love like Jesus, that means, again, if you, want to love, if you want to love like Jesus, you have to be loved by Jesus. Did you hear me? If you want to love like Jesus, you have to be loved by Jesus, which means this, you have to walk in freedom. If you want to be free, you have to be forgiven. Yeah, let things go. Some of you are here today and you've been stuck for a long time because of that, that, that F word, forgiveness. Some of you can forgive others, but you can't forgive yourself. Can you see, can you hear the words of Jesus? Can you put yourself in the place of that woman? Where are your accusers? Is none left to condemn you? Then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's the heart of God for us today. We're going to do something bananas. And, and again, you love me, so you got to give it a shot. For some of you, you've been running around that same tree for years, stuck in the, in the babiness of your sin and your little things. Maturity in Christ means this. You're able to let go of the past and move into what God has for you now. That starts with forgiveness. I don't know what you did last year. I don't know what you did 10 years ago. I don't know what you did last night. It doesn't matter. God knows. He's not here to hit you with a lightning bolt. He's here to put you back on the path. So we're going to do something crazy. We're going to take a moment. I'm just going to have the Holy Spirit let him speak to you. In the church, we created some stations. We've got two things. We have sand stations and our cross. Let me tell you what the sand stations are. You'll see some verbiage there. Maybe there are some things that happened in your life that you're struggling to forgive yourself from. Maybe there's a person that you're struggling to forgive. Whatever that is, why don't you take a minute, just again, as we're moving around, go up to one of the sand stations with your finger. Imagine Jesus writing in the dust. Write that thing, maybe the name of that person, that thing that you need to move past. Write it in the dust and pray, Lord, Get this thing away from me. Move it as far as from the east as from the west. Erase it and don't carry it anymore. Maybe some of you need to have a little bit more muchismo in your stuff. And you're like, I got to get rid of this, this sucker, this thing forever. Well, if that's you, go up to the cross. Write down the name of that person. Write down that thing that you've been struggling with that you need forgiveness from. Put it under, nail that sucker to the cross. And when you leave here, leave it there. Walk on, move on. So bow your heads with me. Lord, our heart is simple. We just want to be like you.
Jesus, we want to love like you. We know that, Father, loving like you means that we have to be loved by you. So, Father, will you help us to navigate our own brokenness? Will you help us, Lord God, to take these things, to leave them at your feet, and become the people that you want us to be? Now, do me a favor. Just shut your eyes for a second. And listen to the Holy Spirit. Even as I've been talking, God's brought to your hearts these things, these things that you struggle with. And listen for the voice of the Spirit. Whatever God tells you to do, do. Listen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.